0: Good afternoon. Um, welcome to the, uh, the the final portion of this conference. So we're going to have a, um, a panel discussion um, about the lost boys. Um, about. So, because the the young women seem to get so much of the attention, Alister and I have been saying for a long time that we need to focus a bit more on the boys. And we've had some nice conversations with Benjamin before about this subject. So we're 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 uh, enlarging our group. Uh, Richie Haron made a really important point in the program. As he said, "Where where is the voice of someone who's actually been through the experience, who got caught up in the ideology and?" T- the transition and who has been harmed by it. So we decided to invite Corinna Cohn to join us. We also thought we'd be crazy not to include Marcus Evans since he was here, so we've asked him. Everybody else? Yes? And uh, I think you know me and Alistair and Benjamin.
1: Who? So, um, what do we mean by lost boys? Mm. take that one. And Alistair, you came up with that term because... No no, 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 I didn't come up with that term. The
2: leader of the, what we called the boys group, so the group of parents of boys came up with that term, and suggested that that be the term that uh, was used as the title for my series of articles, although of course you don't actually get to choose your own title, because I would have gone with that. I think that's a fair description i think it's a and you know the lost boys peter pan never aging yeah i think that that's a key point that mm-hmm. and it's actually about both sexes that a lot of the time it's i want to be a boy or a girl it's not man or woman it's, it's kind of like almost like i want to move diagonally backwards rather than forwards so i think boy is fitting in some ways. So yeah, it was, that was her. Came to her in a fever dream, she said, which is a very her thing to say.
1: One thing I've noticed about the D-trans, um, the, through the D-trans stories, uh, the uh, the person who wants to transition doesn't see themselves as an old man or an old woman. I do see some some women not wanting to be an old woman. They, they want to take a different like aging path, but they don't really see themselves in the future as becoming like a man of industry or something like that. There's this other kind of um, nefarious kind of idea that's that they're dreaming up. And I wonder, Corinna, if yeah. you want to talk about your projection into the future of, uh, of what you wanted to accomplish through transition.
3: Uh, that's, that's an interesting question. But before I do that, I, I think this might be slightly cathartic. On the count of three, can everybody shout out my pronouns? <laughs> One, two, three.
2: Hey, him. Hey, him. Dickhead.
3: (laughs) Right. Sorry. I, I did not have male role models that I could see as people who I wanted to become when I grew up. So, my father was 40 years older than my mom, so, he was 60 when I was born. I I couldn't see myself becoming an old man like my father. Like, I had no picture of him being a young man. Um, Because he was so much older, I didn't have any men on his side of the family who were part of my life. And um, although my my mom had several brothers, they were uh, a a lot more like Alistair than (laughs) anybody else. What does that mean? (laughs) Tall, tall, masculine, uh, you know, Sort of butch, I guess. Okay. They were butch. Um,
2: I, I was expecting an insult, go on. Yeah, no.
3: Who <laughs> are you
0: talking about?
3: Yeah. I uh, and I, I just didn't see myself becoming anybody like them. Uh, but my, my mom, who was a lot closer in age to me, uh, fortunately, uh, she um, did all the outside, uh, outdoor work. Um, she was worked with her hands. She took, She had uh, fantastic small motor skills. Would take apart all the, the engines and put them back together. And, and so, in my mom, I almost had a, a more relatable model of somebody who I could become than my, my dad. And uh, I, I sort of needed an adult male who was more creative, more weird, more more willing to. Uh, dress in just uh, flannels and <laughs> collars. You know, so Somebody who, is, who had, a, had something, some, something that I could go to them and, and talk about stuff that, that I just didn't understand with anyone else. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and did transition, were, was transition uh, an attempt to um, find your own role model? Or, or to, how, did, how did transition mm-hmm. figure into the role model or the lack of the role model? Uh, it, and, and specifically by transition, uh, transition, I mean what you wanted to become through transition, like the woman or the female that you were chasing after.
3: That's uh, hard for me to parse that, but give, give, give me a uh, try. To, uh, give me a shot at this. Um, I didn't want to. I had a very difficult time making friends with my peers. Um, when I when I was very young, when I was in the first several years of elementary school, um, I had more I had female friends, and uh, up to the point where people were saying you have to stop playing on the at the gymnasium with them and go go do other stuff like like you can't do that stuff anymore, and uh, I just didn't I didn't make friends with boys. Uh, I had one male friend all through elementary school, and then I had like two or three male friends through middle and high school that, like, you know, not not tight, but just people who let me hang out. And uh, I just thought, given that I couldn't really relate to my peers, and given that a a number of other factors, um, I somehow got into my imagination that if I were a girl, then, like, people wouldn't tell me not to play with the girls anymore, uh, the boys wouldn't beat me up anymore because I wouldn't be the you know i, I probably they would right' Because, you know uh, but I got into my head if if that wasn't happening, then I'd have a means of escape, so it was really more of a uh escape plan, and you know this is called lost boys that's sort of how I got lost as I thought
4: let me you know give me a way out of here yeah
5: um
4: well. I'll like to follow on from that a bit. But, I mean, here are the sort of provisos. First of all, what I'm going to say, it's not a one size fits all, as we all know. And the reason we become who we are is multifactorial, you know, the social environment. And, and the genetics are important. Uh, it's nature, nurture, it's not either or, it's both. So everyone comes with their own particular sort of, you know, take on the world. Um, but one of the things that, that I see in a very small sample of people that I see is that often there's there's a sort of situation where, in terms of the lost boys, there's a sort of over close relationship between, uh, uh, you know, the mother, let's say, and the child. Sometimes the boy child is a support to mother. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and sort of can't find their own space they are sometimes anxiously attached, sometimes very sort of compliant and supportive um, and that often you know you find that the father is either absent or is some version of what's called toxic masculinity of uh, an aggressive violent man. so there's so in terms of the lostness, there's some sort of caught in a sort of a in a sort of relationship with mother and which they can't find themselves and there's no alternative or, or no no one who helps mediate the relationship between mother and son. Um, and, yeah, so this is... A, now, this was actually written about many years ago in the Portman. It's all buried, like, no one sort of is interested but, but it's there. I mean this is, this is, old, this is old psychoanalytic knowledge but I've, I've sort of discovered it since working in this area. The, the other thing I was just going to say that some of the other common factors is there's often some this intolerance of imperfections and a sort of hatred of the body. That's one of the things I'm writing about currently. There's some sort of sense that this male body is not going to psychologically measure up or physically measure up. So in a way, you, you've got to find some other sort of identity.
1: That that moves into, Joe, the work you're doing on shame. I'm wondering about like negative affect and and how men process uh, shame, uh, sexuality, negative emotion and, and not feeling worthy and, and the, the insights and the research that you're being...
0: Yeah, well, just continuing on from what Marcus just said, I think that I think every single one of the young men I'm seeing um, have been influenced by the, the particular cultural moment and this messaging that makes masculinity out to be something toxic. And they feel ashamed of themselves because they've absorbed all this thinking. And they, they, they feel bad about themselves as men. They hate. The masculinization of their body, when it starts to occur, they th- they they think they're going to be threatening and predatory. Uh, I, I'll talk a little bit about it later. So um, I, I do see that this trans identification, escaping into a female identity, is a way to to get to to escape from shame, to escape from all of this sense of being this this horrible toxic male
1: body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and in the work that um, you guys have done with uh, boys in this situation, or and, and uh, insofar as everybody's been in this situation, what, what are the ways that are the proper way to own your masculinity or, or the, the movement away from uh, you know, mother into your own sort of person? Like, what are some of the, the themes that have been helpful to the Rails? In, in that process of, of maturation and, and just masculinity.
0: One of the things I, I find myself doing in my work, and it's, it's not super psychoanalytic, but I, 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 I'm often pointing out to the young men I work with the ways in which they are masculine that, that they don't recognize are masculine, um, to help them to feel positive about certain aspects of their character that are very male related, um, but they, don't, they, they haven't appreciated. I'm not going to say much about what those qualities are because every time I talk about a positive male quality, someone is going to say, Wait, are you saying that women can't be? <laughs>
1: well, so, yes, yeah, so I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Alistair, what, what do you think? Um, I think work is probably important. Yes like work how, like ambition or just physical labor? Like, what do you mean? Well, ideally vocation, I suppose. Like having a, a
2: thing, having a purpose, and working towards it, I, I think that's important. I wouldn't know as much about, as, as you would know, for example, on my like family psychodynamics and all the rest of it, um, quite a prominent gender-critical feminist, who I'm very good friends with, who I'm not gonna name because I'm not gonna drop her in the soup. I'm not gonna throw her in the cauldron, but she was kind of out of horror. Showed me a post online um, from a kind of more female-oriented social media site. And it said, it was two sentences, and it said, all men want to rape girls. Uh, which is, among many things, a denial of the existence of male homosexuality, although it's kind of quite, quite low down the list of problems. And I, I actually think, not to change the subject, I actually think it's quite unfair to somebody who's living with that amount of distress. If you go outside and you're looking at 49% of the species and thinking, rapist, 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 that's a level of psychological distress you shouldn't be living with. And I actually think that it's a bit irresponsible for people not to come in and say, but that's a separate point how do you have a positive vision of masculinity when things have got to the point uh, to such a, a heightened point where people feel I mean presumably she's saying that because she thinks it's true I don't see any other reason to say that so there's that As I think work and I wouldn't know about family stuff I think other people should come in but I also think well, having a culture where we just remember that we're human and we don't say things like that to one another on any grounds, race or sexuality or whatever. And that's—and there's, gosh, there's lots of things to say about male imperfection. I'm not doing a you can't criticize men because that would destroy half of my conversation uh, themes. But you know, things have got very, very
1: heightened. Yeah. Well, isn't it uh, the responsibility of the male who interacts with that rhetoric or comes across that rhetoric to uh, to, to deny it or see its its falsity and not internalize that or process that in in, in some way. I mean, mm. there's a lot of crap in the world, and if we're always like, oh no, don't say some, I I saw some bad words, and now my self perception is so bad. It's like we have to. It's part of being an adult, not just being a man, but being an adult to, to say, okay, that that's bullshit. Yeah, um, yeah, sure, but right? but if you're quite young, it's like okay. there, there isn't really. I,
2: whether you're talking about like straight so you know potentially becoming a father and having a wife and a family and going kind of that conventional path or whatever that statistically normal path or whether you're talking about something different it it's not exactly portrayed in a very positive way right these days being male and and so it's we're all fish swimming in the water and i, I want to say something else as well because i know there will be women thinking hold on a minute. it's not like being a woman it's portrayed in a positive way we this is not a zero-sum game we have to remember that life can get worse for all of us sewers made everyone's life better there is not a person it's not a gender thing there is not a man woman boy girl whose life is worse because of sewers so therefore there are things which can make everything everyone's lives worse women Girls, boys, men, and gender ideology is that. So I'm not interested in a zero-sum game, and I'm not. It's not saying life is hard for men, therefore women have. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have to move beyond that kind of childish thinking.
3: Corinna, what, what are some of your
1: thoughts floating around? Uh,
3: you're asking about.
1: Well, just to, if there's something that that you're picking up on that that corresponds to your experience to developing uh, a positive self-regard and. Um, I guess because you, insofar as you did transition, yeah. you've gone through an arc of, of chasing the feminine and then um, and then backing away and, and integrating the masculine. How has that been for you over time?
3: Yeah, I mean, my shirt says a lot of it. Adult human weirdo. Uh, it's very difficult after you've been trying to uh, blend in and into the world as something than, than your natal sex and that most of the, or all the relationships that you're, That you've maintained daily is is after putting on that sort of appearance uh it's very difficult to uh just wake up the next day and go all right this is all different now because you're you're still carrying things with you and it's just a matter of um getting to the point where where you say these things are still important to me and there's not a female way of doing it or a male way of doing it but but these are the things that i do and I don't have to worry about how people perceive, if it's a masculine way of doing it or feminine way of doing it, but it's gonna be my way of doing it. Um, I am male, I am a man. And so if I do it in a, in a way that is uh, different from how, what, what somebody's stereotypes of it might be, uh, that doesn't make it um, masculine or feminine, it's just yeah. something that I'm doing.
1: It, uh, it, it, I think a lot of it is, is it's just poor reading. I think that that we do need a we do need positive visions of the male and the female. Um, and the way that we read them as aspirations not like demands we have to be that way, but I have somewhere to go as a man. I have somewhere to go as a woman, but if I don't go in the direction of that ideal it doesn't mean you're less of a man or less of a woman. It's just we do need some sort of positive ideal there, and yet that ideal Is also painful in a a way. I just see a
3: tension there. If you don't mind me answering that, I don't think that we need an ideal Benjamin. Mm -hmm. I I think we need uh, archetypes. Okay. Okay. Yeah.
1: Which and this is what I'm saying. There's, There's a way of reading these aspirational masculine and feminine. Places to go to, like the mother, the maiden, the crone, the father, the the worker, um, whatever those are. I, I think that uh, Marcus, maybe maybe you um, have seen positive and negative ways that that boys have um, tried to attain masculinity or run away from masculinity.
4: I mean, one of the one of the things that um, Sue and I see a lot is that, in actual fact, there's a. I mean, it's not answering your question, but there's there's a. Um, there's an inhibition against ordinary healthy aggression. A lot of the time, a lot of, a lot of the kids we see, and they are, like I say, they're self-selected because they know that we're sort of critical and so, you know, they may get in contact with us because of what we said or, so it's only a sort of small portion of the of the population. But there's a lot that, that are sort of, in some senses, they're trying to, I was thinking about what you were saying, Joe, they're trying to get rid of any sort of sense of any, Um, sort of healthy aggression or healthy sort of putting themselves forward and there's a terror of guilt associated with the damage they may do. What if I separate from mum? How's she gonna be? You know what if I fight against mum? In a sense there's an absence of ordinary healthy aggression which is all part of separating from your parents and finding yourself. The thing that's so unhelpful is this is all being acted out through the body. So what we see is very good children. They're not, they're not the rebel child. They're, they're the good child, sort of sitting there, feel there's no room for them to rebel. And then all of the rebellion goes into the idea, I'm gonna change my bodies. So it's not a psychic fight over who they're gonna become. Separate from their parents and their ideals, and how much they identify with themselves, with the parents, and how much they separate from the parents. But it's it it's sort of all acted out through the body, um, and uh, and that is driven by a wish for a sort of powerful intervention, as if the mind, you know, because of course when we when we I was speaking to someone just before lunch, and that, and I thought a key thing is really you could put a gender to one side and say this is about a struggle for identity exactly. and in terms of becoming yourself i love your t-shirt by the way it is accepting you as you are warts and all you're going to do things that hurt people you love you've got to live with that a bit you try not to hurt them too much do anything too stupid but we're always in a sort of conflictual in- environment we're trying to get along with people you know, you love people and that's a passionate business and then you hurt people that you love. But you're having to sort of tolerate that and it's the intolerance both in the kids and in society which is so unhelpful. I, I think it. I think it's, isn't
0: it Sasha there, who talks about identity foreclosure that right. the trans identification really stops all of that whole yeah. process of individ, yeah. individuation and identity formation.
4: Yeah.
1: You brought up uh, healthy aggression. There's also healthy desire. If you guys want to riff yeah. on that, like, what, what is healthy aggression? What does that look like?
4: We all need aggression to live in the world. You know, you can't you can't have a world without aggression. And there are different sorts. There's sadism. There's cruelty. But there is also healthy assertion of your view, yourself. That's what I'm that's what I'm really talking about. And we all need it. But one or two of the kids I see is is if they're going to their masculinity is associated with aggression which they are trying to eradicate and rather than find room in themselves for their aggression and any guilt which might come with taking assertive action which has an impact on someone else. So it's a sort of, um, yeah, it's a very, very uh, violent defense I'm gonna get rid of. And what's yeah. paradoxical about
0: that is that they, they're, they're frightened of and, and uh, feel ashamed of their aggression, and so they cut yeah. it off. And at the same time, on, the, on, the, on an unconscious level, they feel like failed men because they're not able to express any aggression.
4: Yeah. Hmm.
3: Could c- I ask a question? Because it just occurred to me. What if, what if you have aggression and you really hate physical confrontation, but you want to channel your aggression socially?
4: Yeah, well, I mean, the,
3: Twitter. Bo- the body. Twitter. Yeah, Twitter.
0: <laughs>
2: there, there you go. You've already answered your question. Yeah, right.
4: Don't tweet that. <coughs> well, I think things start in terms of experience. Someone asked a question about people spending too much time online, and this is another phenomenon we see. The sort of seductiveness of living online in a disembodied world in which you're in your head and you know on i don't know grand theft auto you can smash up thousands of cars press the button and there they all are again (laughs) whereas if you punch someone there's a there's a there's a consequence to that so there's something very attractive about kids living in their heads where the world is a sort of cartoon place i can do this it's had no impact Tomorrow we'll start the game all over again. Um, I think sort of learning about the the implications, as you're saying, for aggression and assertion in terms of your body. That's so important that you integrating the mind and the body. and We're learning how to deal with ourselves and our assertiveness as, yeah, as sexual beings in the world. You know, um, having an impact on other sexual beings in the world. Uh, that's not just the only thing that goes on. I mean, it's one of the nice things that you do. But
1: uh, going back to what um, Alistair was saying about if you're lucky, but <laughs> having having a vocation or, or something that um, yeah. helps build uh, or helps uh, specifically a male, but not specifically male, but helps a, a, a man become a man and helps a man get comfortable in his own skin. It is it is having an effect in the world and um, yeah. and. And one thing that I see is this this being wrapped up in, in, in immediacy, not, not being able to think forward, not having real ambition that has a big, long arc. And one thing that I can see with transition is that becomes like a project. That becomes like my I'm an empire builder. What I'm doing is I'm building myself in a very... Um, And and one thing that I also see in transition is that it never ends. You get to one point, and then you go to another point, and you get to another point. So it it channels what could be a healthy ambition to really change the world, and it really puts it on on the self. I think a lot of people in here will be familiar with the the fact that if a a woman were
2: shaped like Barbie, she would die because she'd snap, right? People have heard that. If if an actual human woman were Barbie-shaped, she would that Physical person can't exist, and that's given to girls. Anyone here seen Iron Man, the film? (laughs) Okay. Just one. Just one. So Iron Man is played by Robert Downey Jr., who's obviously quite attractive. He's a billionaire. He's got a wife. She's gorgeous. He's got a a mansion, and it overlooks Hollywood. And he can also fly. Uh, And he flies across the Atlantic. And I don't know, I was probably not paying that much attention. He flies across the Atlantic, liberates somewhere that presumably ends in Stan, flies back, has a party. This is just the beginning of the film. I don't think I got through it. But he's still depressed because life isn't enough. And that's the male model that Hollywood is now giving us. And then they decided, stroke of genius, let's have female superheroes who can fly, and are beautiful, and are five foot two, and can do a flying drop kick and take down four heavily armed Russians. And now all the girls are miserable. (laughs) I grew up with Roald Dahl. In Roald Dahl, every Roald Dahl book, and this is really important, has the exact same theme. Something crap happens to a child, and it's permanent. And when they made Matilda, Hollywood tried to rewrite it. So in Matilda, her parents don't love her. It's really unfair. They don't care about her; they leave. And they try to rewrite the ending and say, like, or they come back. And it's like, no, the whole point is, in The Witches, the boy gets turned into a mouse. It's permanent. Um, In James and the Giant Peach, his parents die. They don't come back. And there's a happy ending, but you're living with something bad, and it's resilient. Now it's like, oh, you didn't fly across the ocean and liberate something, Stan, and come back to your beautiful wife, and fuck her senseless, and do all of these other things. So what do we expect? There aren't any realistic, we're we're dissolving anything that we find that's a realistic model for women or men. We're just destroying it. And I don't think that those processes are going, they're not happening in the same way. They're not the same processes. We're different sexes. There's loads to say about how female images, body image, but gosh, social images and all these templates have gone horribly wrong. But the male ones are just absurd. I mean, they're just stupid. You can fly. You're a billionaire. You're incredibly attractive. And you're
0: depressed. (laughs) And then meanwhile, Richard Reeves talks about this in his new book all of these sort of options for middle-class, working-class men that were considered honorable, where you could earn a living, a supportive family, hard labor, all these jobs that women really kind of don't want to do. We don't respect them anymore. We've shipped half yeah. of them halfway across the world. And men are floundering, you know? What, where, what are they to do with their lives now?
1: We, uh, we, we have two minutes to wrap up. Do you guys have any uh, closing? <laughs> So why was that funny? I don't know. <laughs> Just because we, well, we're men and we're timely—is that the joke? <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay.
3: <laughs> I, I I think that maybe with the time left we should think about if you become lost, how you might become unlost. Yeah. Yeah. So think of something to ask.
1: Oh.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, how do you become unlost? Or- uh, very 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 slowly. But um, thank you for. Thank you. Do you want to come up here, Ben? ben, ben Benjamin, Benjamin's just. Um, <laughs> it's all ball busting and. It, there, there's there's a point that you have to realize that that you've been dreaming, and that your your dream is not something that you're going to be able to attain. And I forget who came up with this analogy, but there's this idea that you're you're on one shore uh, on one side of the river, and you take off to go to the other side of the river, and you just never make it to the other side of the river. And uh, at some point, I just realized I'm not going to hit that shore. And uh, that I would be able to um, come back some, some way. Like transformed, right? You go in, and you change, and you come back some, somehow different. But uh, there, there's a realization that you have to hit that that shore is not available. Mm. And I think, uh,
6: mm.
3: yeah, I, I don't know what else to say.
4: But the thing is dreaming you know of being superhero or whatever i mean it's all part of life isn't it we all need a bit of omnipotence to get us going otherwise no one would ever write a book or arrange a conference like this or you know you've got to have you've got a dream but the, the problem is is what happens when you're faced with the reality of all the difficulties and um in a way what you're saying about these comic heroes is that they never face the the, the realities, the depressing realities of our limits. Mm. And, um, And because we live in a world of so many possibilities, it's as if we're always reaching for the stars and we're intolerant of ordinary depressing limitations. A supervisor of mine used to say, when you get to 50, you realise we're all making the best of a bad job. (laughs) And um, it's a a sort of middle-aged thing to say. You wouldn't want to say that to a kid. But the fact is, it's true. (laughs) You get to a certain age and you realise how true that is.
6: (laughs) Hiya, Helen Joyce. Um, I've recently tweeted some things um, you know sympathetic to parents who are experiencing their children and um, transitioning or uh, you know having gender confusion and whenever I do that that says anything about boys I'm always you know there are always the same people who pop in and who reply and who say they're autogynophiles and I'm wondering if the panel has any idea why there's such resistance to the idea that there might be a novel presentation for teenage boys, just as there has been a novel presentation for teenage girls.
2: Um, I mean, for my part, I think I can bring something to that. There's a lot of black and white thinking here and so I think, it seems to me that if you if you accept the thesis, the hypothesis of, of ROGD, which I do, as Lisa, well oh, she's not here, I can get away with calling it what I like, because I know she likes the very precise language, but if you accept that ROGD exists, it's very clear that there are parts of that which are obviously the same between the boys and the girls, in terms of um, female, uh, female-dominated peer groups with one very influential kind of character, internet use and all the rest of it. And then it's very obvious that there are very different experiences, the HSTS, AGP. Honestly, I'm not convinced that you can't be both. Uh, right? Uh, who knows? So there's so it's a soup, and this is why my very lovely friends, the parents of of the boys, are saying we need more research. We don't know. We don't know where one thing ends and the other thing begins. It's absurd to say, oh, ROGD, that's totally female. We can just account for everything that's male with these two criteria, but it would equally be absurd to say, oh yeah, no, there's, that's exactly going to be the same, we're a group of people who believe that sex matters I think you're something you do an organisation, yeah um, so we don't know, we don't know where all the lines are, and there's a lot of resistance to, to nuance, and also I yeah. think just generally just very briefly there aren't enough people in the world who say two phrases, I don't know and I don't care <laughs> because it's actually very legitimate so if everyone's got an opinion and everyone feels like there's all these talking heads and commentators and they all feel the need to say well I think this about whatever it might be there's so much opinion and opinion farming and all the rest of it that you, it's very difficult to see how we can get to the truth on that so I hope that what, one of the things that comes out of yesterday is a bit more knowledge and just
0: more. for a start let's admit what we don't know I
7: think Benjamin's coming
0: in, yeah. No, Joe. um, Yeah, I I think that the reason why you get that sort of response, Helen, is because in the space, in the bizarre universe we inhabit, the the presence of the toxic trans-right activist is so strong, that, and and people are so hostile to them with very good reason, that you just get that sort of blanket writing them all off. Yeah, also
6: that. Okay, Sarah Vatsi has a, a question. I I hope you all appreciated
5: Sarah's amazing art. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> um so as 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 you all know, I'm I'm painting and drawing 100 detransitioned women and I've had some questions about what about the men and I've had a chat with Richie about this and he said there's no way I'll be able to find 100 men and there's a huge amount of stigma around male detransitioners and what I would like to know especially within the radical feminist community, they're just like written off. What can we do to support male detransitioners to feel like they're supported and um, they won't just be written off? I don't know if there's, what can be done? I mean, I'm not planning to draw a 100, but I do want to include some, because I feel like their stories are also very valid and important.
7: Miranda? I'm not going to speak for radical feminists. <laughs> I can't think why not. Thank you.
2: <laughs> You're very good at deadpan. <laughs>
7: why, why should radical feminists worry about boys when the concern is about women and girls? Uh, I think that's the, I think really that's the answer. Um, I think... That, that wasn't her point. At sorry
5: is that right no. so i'm it's not about what radical feminists can do i'm talking about myself and mm. and other people i'm saying i'm i'm in this world where i inhabit lots of spaces and a lot of the boys feel they can't speak out because they're just hounded um, I'm the one going into the random, radical feminist spaces and then if I say, what about the boys, what about the boys, I get, so I have close friends who are auto and I'm, as soon as I say, well, I care about their experience, I get hounded. I get hounded, yeah. but I care about um, I don't know. Probably people in here are disagreeing with me um, for for even caring. I'm just a caring person, and I think we what we need Aren't to open up is to learn why is this happening and to question it, and you know support our sons who might go down that route, and and educate ourselves and not just dismiss them. So I just don't. I think we need to change this dialogue a bit, like what Helen was saying.
1: I've, in in my in, in the work that I've done, which is public and is based on interviewing, it um, is based on interviewing. So so with Helen, like what, there's there's people who are autogynophiles, who are researching autogynophilia, who are dealing with their own condition, and w- they they have a way of interpreting the world. So they'll see you tell a story, and they say, well, this is you're describing this other story. So the way that I would do it is like, well, what is your story, just to try to understand um, the the Twitter thing where we're the internet thing. is like, okay, well, I'm going to judge this person. And I, I interviewed a, a guy, Phil Illy, who's who's trying to develop a, a more nuanced autogynephilia where he calls it auto-gyno or auto-and or auto-something philia. Um, he he I, I interviewed him.
3: Heterosexuality.
1: Auto has heterosexuality. Well, anyways, he, he's got like this this terminology. The, the point is is that I, I interviewed him with a just open, just I just opened myself up. What's your idea? Let's let's hear it out. And I had the live stream going on, um, and everybody was right, just judging him like look at this guy he just he wants he, he's an autogynophile. he's a pervert look at look at him they just judge 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 him. and i just got so frustrated with my audience like why are you guys even on my channel <laughs> if you want to judge people you don't want to learn you know but but you can't stop people from being judgy and, and also on the on the flip side um, there there're going to be people that are in pain and and some of the radical feminists, they're operating from just a, a place of brokenness. They they got really hurt by yeah. men, yeah. and and so trying to understand that and letting them be angry, and also with the men, there's these boys who are just damaged, and they need to express their anger, yeah. uh, and they need to express their pain. And and we're witnessing each other, being human beings, and just like just seeing each other as human beings, um, it, it go, yeah. goes a long way. And and it's not it's difficult because. It, it, it's listening, and listening is not loud. It takes a really long time uh, to make listening powerful. So you don't see people listening. You don't see people supporting these 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 people. But that support eventually, it, it you know, just like through a, attention, like um, I don't want to say prayer, but like there's this there's this projection that that is healing. Um, that isn't a, a statement of agreeing or, or a statement of, of I'm going to defend you. You know, like even even backing away from the war, giving some. Prayer Private words, or just saying a joke, or just giving them something beautiful that, that has nothing related to what they're what they're dealing with it, it, it just that that helps that loosen our grip on, on, on the struggle that we're involved in. Yeah. Very good. I think uh, Vincent,
8: uh, you like, yeah? hello. Yep. Yeah. Another
6: Sorry. question over here. Just a second. Oh, sorry. One second.
7: I, I didn't really get the chance to complete okay. what I was trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of cut, and it was like the, So I'm going to keep it very brief. So first of all, thank you for your kind words. And uh, what I would say, one of the, one of the problems that we've we've seen since transgender really became such a big thing in the last 10 or 15 years is the way that the self-identified transgender woman, in scare quotes, is so eagerly kicked out of the man box and left to be dealt with by women. And I think men can be nicer to trans women. I think men can be nicer to other men. Uh, and I, th- I think gay culture can be nicer to effeminate men. Yeah.
2: Why I stopped Why I stopped calling you she. We had that conversation outside the pub, and I said I'm a, I'm making a hypocrite of myself here, because I'm telling you we need to bring you you're as much of a gay man as I am, and then I'm calling you she. What's that? Yeah. Now that's to be negotiated between me and you because you're my friend and we're not doing pronoun policing. But it's you know, we do have to we do have to open that space. Yeah.
1: Yeah, okay just one one footnote like rough and tumble play it, it's not nice but it's fun boys need a little ball busting and and we need a little we need a little room to like be a little aggressive i think there's positive aggression and healthy aggression that men need to express with each other and, and that is a form of love actually it's a form of, of loving each other um to, to push each other around and stuff like that
2: i'd like to say something very briefly about autogynophilia if i may mm. because what i wrote has been somewhat controversial because because i didn't really mention it I want to defend my position which is that I met a group of women who back then things were very different and they had no outlet basically, nobody was listening to them and I I wanted to tell their story Um, and I think there are certain people who, who think that I therefore believe that AGP doesn't exist what I will say is I had a friend who worked on a sex line. She was an act, She was trained to be an actress and she decided to work on sex lines and she had one client who was a guy who would ring up and... She had to pretend to be a chicken. <laughs> and anyway, the His end of it... Isn't it Diogenes is the, or...? I'm going somewhere like, with this. <laughs> at the end of it, he she would put him... She had to tell him what he was doing and at the end of it... She would put him in the oven and he would finish, and that was the end. <laughs> Men are weird, right? That's weird. That's very, very weird. But the problem is. Why? <laughs> I've actually told you that story. Oh. I've told you that story. We're just going to go, two more questions. But, uh, just let me finish, <laughs> let me finish.
1: <laughs> let the chicken story get
2: flesh itself out. The point is this, man, there are men right now all over the world doing weird sexual things which are shameful and embarrassing. Give them a chance to get past it and grow up. Don't put them in a box and publicly say, you're like that for life, pervert, because probably nearly all of them will move on and they won't end up like the 40-year-old chicken man. They'll have a... Proper life. So we shouldn't we shouldn't vilify young people. We
9: shouldn't vilify young people. Sorry,
1: That's it
9: right uh, is it my turn (laughs) i'm just going to stand up so everyone can see me i'm vincent i'm kind of involved with thoughtful therapist uh the the critical therapy antidote and jane specht and i did a podcast with laura becker who's disappeared of course um so that's that's how i came to be here but i just want to say um to the guys up there you are rock stars because i know what i was on a panel last year that was a bit stressful i know what it takes to get up there and talk about these things like i can i can see um the the sensitivity to the topics um, as was already mentioned but i want to bring back um, i'm going to give a little bit of, of background just to explain why um uh Anorexia in young men is increasing, which I think is very much part of this whole topic that we're talking about here. And I don't want to, you know, um, introduce a whole new topic, but I think it's important that we understand that. And I, I don't mind admitting that, um, or telling everyone that I had that for about seven years. And um, the purpose of that, and it, it, I, I want to say this because two people mentioned this uh, uh, indirectly, was to, as I, as I was. Um, emerging into early adulthood, I saw my father in the mirror and I didn't want to be my father. My father was a, an SOB. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I it, to me, it was like a death to become him. So I starved myself um, for seven years and I was I was extremely sick and I won't go into detail, but it was extreme. It was for seven years. It was completely ideological. Um, and it was only, a complete collapse of another ideology that I was um, following that made me realize maybe I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> so that that's, that was a crushing moment, though, because I had very little to hold on to besides that. You know, so you guys are, are talking about all the key points, the role models. There was no role models. The role models I had were all evil. Um, I was telling some people the other night that, as far as I could tell, when I was 15, even. I mean, I was a man at 15, really. Um, all adults were crazy, all adults. I didn't know any healthy, especially men, especially men. So there was a, a I'm gonna repeat a question that was actually asked earlier, um, and I'll, I'll give my answer first, but the, the question was, what do we do about it for men, for the males in this in this group, in the in the, the transitioner group? Um, what do we do about it and how do we help them? And I'll just tell you that, I even though I wasn't a, a transitioner, um, what helped me was beginning with the body because I had damaged my body as well so badly that I realized I had to fix my body. I had to come to be one with my masculinity. So I'm glad um, Joe mentioned masculinity as well because that is essential. That is what you're given to work with. And if you don't wanna work with what what you've got, you're gonna be in trouble for the rest of your life. So, um, it, the question was kind of asked, but you guys kind of moved on. You didn't really answer it, so maybe somebody could go back to that. Like, what do you do about it, if, if you, once you're at that moment and you want to emerge out of it?
4: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I suppose one of... I mean, I don't know, people do all sorts of things. There's no answer, is there? People work things out as they go along. Um, I suppose what you need is help to just sort of. I was, I was thinking about a lot of. You see, I was, I was just thinking about the, uh, the sexualisation. When you're talking about AGP, it's a, it's a sort of sexualisation of, of a sort of fantasy of intrusion, in my in my view. And and there's a sort of there's a sort of manic triumph. We we all like you know being manic from time to time i'm gonna uh, go and have a few beers this evening well earned but you know the, the the idea that you can triumph over what you've been given um there's also envy that comes into it you see the envy of difference they've got something i want i'm gonna i'm gonna occupy i'm gonna take up occupation and these are very powerful psychological forces aren't they and that one's trying to sort of see what is driving this what's behind it Um, because like you say you know if you're agp you know it's an unhappy place you may be triumphant you may be feel you can get into women's spaces and you dominate and etc etc but actually you're quite tormented you know it's not it's it's not a happy way of existence so in some senses you're needing a setting in which you can be helped to sort of step back and sometimes step down and think about what's driving this and that's often very difficult because you're not wanting to stop and think because that would lead to some sort of depression or collapse you mentioned a collapse you were able to collapse that's a healthy response um, and some of the time, that's very frightening, and people want to sort of push on. A bit like the legislation, the talk today about the legal thing, and the, and um, she kept men- mentioning there's no gateways. If thought, I often think thought is the gateway in which we examine what's going on and what's at stake. At the moment, politically, there's a wish to drive through any pause for thought, but it's the same clinically do you want to stop and think and pause, no I don't, I might collapse, I might be faced with depressing things about myself, maybe I'm more like my dad than I'd like to think I am, etc, etc. And there you're faced with the possibility of psychological collapse and put your foot on the accelerator, through you go again, with some sort of manic triumph. Anyway. Long answer to your I'm question. just going to... Uh,
6: Stephanie's going to uh-huh. ask a question. So uh, Stephanie's going to ask a question. And, oh, my God, de- definitely Kat- Kathleen and uh, definitely Sue. But I'd like the three in a row uh, to kind of ask question, make a comment, and then um, you can answer the three in a row. And then I do think a coffee would be very nice. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I'll try and be really quick. Um, it seems to me that the cultural models that girls have to have to are supposed to aspire to are c- kind of presented as good models. You're supposed, you know, the beautiful woman, the ideal woman. Whereas male uh, role models t- tend to be idiots. You know, we I think we we missed out the inept husband in the list of ways that men are represented. Mm-hmm total idiots while the women are all emotionally intelligent um, and so we're invited to laugh at men very, I think it's very upfront, we're, that's what we're invited to do, whereas girls growing up have to cope with role models that we are supposed to inspire to, so it's, quite, it's I think it's very different, but I would like to ask or just throw it out um, my, what I think is different with boys is they've got to aspire to either a, a, the alpha male or the beta male that's very, that seems very a very sort of upfront thing with men that women don't really have and whether you can say you can aspire to be a, an alpha male but also you, could, you you know being a beta male is also okay because some men's personalities are not like that but that that seems to be very specific to boys and not to girls
2: And I think they're better at doing that on the continent. Sorry, I know we're not supposed to. Um,
6: Hi, I'm Kathleen. I'm a mother of a boy. And I just want to make the statement that I know a lot of people think it's because they had a weak father. And that is not my case. My husband was a great father, and they were very close, and I know that's the case of a lot of other parents of boys, and I just don't want everyone to think Uh. that it's because they had a weak father. There's a lot of different ways. Uh. There's a lot of different, everybody has their own journey, and I just don't want that to be thought of as a norm.
3: I, I'm, I'm gonna comment on that br- briefly. I, I think that when you are the spouse of, of somebody, that you have a different experience of what they're like than when you're the child of somebody. So th- this isn't particular to you, but um, I, I think that uh, a lot of the, the people who are uh, our peers would probably, um, not everyone, obviously, I'm not gonna speak universally, but I've heard a lot of people say that they've had a very difficult time connecting uh, with their fathers. So it doesn't mean that you're strong, strong or weak or bad or good or anything. But I, I think sometimes that relationship between father and son uh, doesn't have uh, all the components in it necessarily.
2: But that doesn't mean it's anyone's fault. So. Yeah,
3: it's not, it's not anybody's fault because relationships are hard, but.
8: So, look, mine's not even going to be a question. It was really just a reflection of what you've said there, both of you, um, but from the floor and from the panel. Because I, I think in the same way that we think about how some of these kids feel lost and and are struggling with identity, I have known some kids who feel that they can't live up to how great their dads are. They can't be as good of a man, you know. So so I think it, it goes back to something that I said yesterday and it's the thing that I think I've really kind of felt has come out of this conference is we've got to keep allowing for all these different routes in, we've got to keep allowing that there's so many different circumstances. And I think it's for each kid, their experience of the parent is that unique thing and it's their experience of that. So uh, it's really just to echo what Camille said there. Yeah, okay.
10: I know we're supposed to end. I, I just, I just want to um, say something unpopular that wasn't addressed at the other conference either. Um, and I wanted to just, as briefly as I can, offer some historical context as someone who has... Uh, Spent a long time studying how, I love what you said, Miranda, but how gender, uh, which I define as our expectations of someone based on their sex, um, has been understood and taught to children in different eras. So just very briefly, like in the 70s, the tomboy era and teaching girls to be masculine, it came with. Feminine is bad, and then there was a generational reaction to that, and then there was girl power, and then there was hypergendering of childhood, and then there was there was a girl crisis in the 90s, and all the literature was about that, and now we're in the era of boy crisis literature. It's very very cyclical, and and the reaction to that then is to devalue masculinity the way we devalued femininity. My um, and I think there is. Whereas there was a concerted effort to open boys' worlds to girls, there's never been a concerted effort to open girls' worlds to boys. And I think that what we define as feminine—and and Joe, I would—I'll police your language by saying I don't—I wouldn't call these qualities ma- male qualities. I'd call them male typical, and that can be different in different cultures and different eras. So, my solution, which no one has ever taken me up on, is to de-emphasize gender, our sex-based expectations in childhood and to stop thinking of these qualities as masculine and feminine. And that's dangerous in this era where we're erasing sex. But I've, I never argue that we should erase sex, but I offer that there are a lot of qualities marked as feminine that boys don't feel they can access unless they opt out of manhood, and the same same with girls. And so I'm just throwing that out there because it's my thing, and it seems unpopular at both in gender critical and in uh, what's over there.
7: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we have to end. We have to end,
2: or
0: we're gonna.
10: Not get the response. She gets the last word. She gets the last
0: word. Well, I don't don't think it's either or. I think we can have that perspective, and we can also have an evo-psych perspective in which there are certain biological traits that are innate, that are biologically programmed in boys that are natural, like rough-and-tumble play that you mentioned, aggression, trying using your body to figure out the limits of your aggression and how to control it. And boys today are taught not to be competitive, that rough and tumble play is bad. And half of them are diagnosed as ADHD and put on drugs. So, you know. Thank you
5: very much.